everybody loves second helpings. So pull up a chair and enjoy this encore presentation of a chef's table. Welcome to Chef's Table. I'm Jim Coleman. I hailed a cab on Park Avenue this afternoon, and uh, before I could get in it, you stole it. You're the guy who tried to get my cab. <laughs> I knew I knew you, yeah. You scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> Come to think of it, it was awful easy to get a cab during rush hour. Steve Martin and John Candy in the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. If you travel a lot, you feel their pain just trying to get home. But what about tomatoes, lettuces, and fish? What kind of journey do they take? The average meal logs a lot of miles. In the book, Movable Feasts, from ancient Rome to the 21st century, Sarah Murray writes about the incredible journeys of the food we eat. And the real impact of those miles is quite surprising. And speaking of long distance, we spoke with Sarah Murray in her New York office. She's from the UK, where methane is our methane. I would say the shipping container has played the biggest role because suddenly we are able to have exotic fruits and vegetables from really absolutely all over the world. They have the most incredibly sophisticated refrigeration techniques on these sort of big metal boxes these days. So you can get things from really far off places. Can you describe them for us so we would have a... Well, the shipping container, it's been around since the 60s. It's basically, you know, those great big metal boxes, which uh, practically everything that we touch has been a, a shipping container at some point. And the food version of that is something called a reefer, which is essentially the same form, but it's got a whole uh, high-tech set of electrical wiring and computer devices which monitor the temperature in the container. And you can really tailor that to different types of foods. Describe the journey of much of the salmon we eat. Well, salmon goes on an extraordinary return journey. It actually goes from, you know, whether it's been fished in, in Europe or America, it will quite often go all the way to China in a frozen state. Then it's unfrozen when it gets there. And because salmon needs to be filleted by hand, it's actually um, filleted there with little tweezers by workers in China. They uh, refreeze it and then send it all the way back to Western markets. How can that be economical? It does seem extraordinary, actually. But when I looked into it, what I found was that, in fact, when shipping becomes quite cheap, then what you're much more concerned about as a business is to look at the labor costs that you're dealing with, which is why we do get so much outsourcing these days. And food is no different. So it's actually cheaper to get fish filleted in China than it is back home. Other foods that travel farther than people realize... Well, I came across a very fun example in China, which was tea. Now, tea has always traveled incredible distances. It used to be shipped from Shanghai back to London, where there was an avid nation of tea drinkers right from the 17th century. But what's interesting now is that as consumers become more affluent in, in China, English-style tea has become very fashionable. So they like to add the milk and have it come out of a nice little British-style tea caddy. And there's a company in England that actually sells this English tea to China. What, of course, they don't realize is that tea was grown in China, sent back to England, repackaged, and sent right back to China. Now, your beat is covering the relationship of business and society and the environment. Should we be concerned about food miles? Well, it was interesting. When I started out on the book, I, I thought, well, obviously, this is going to be something I'm going to be dealing with because food miles seem to make such obvious sense that this you know, wasn't great, all the carbon emissions coming from the transportation of food. Then when I started to look into it, I found that really transport is actually a very...